Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Although Todd tries to convince me that government cheese is delicious, I don't believe him. Getting kicked out of college in his freshman year is not the best start. Fortunately, he has a strong mom to guide him. Todd admits to being at the right place at the right time, and his sense of humor may have helped him excel in his career. The truth is, showing up, working hard, failing, then getting back up does seem to give us a chance at a better life. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Todd Spurl, who I've known, we don't want to say how long, do we, Todd? 30 years or so? Well, I got you in the marriage. There you go. So it's been, I better get this right, it's been 25 years plus. Actually, I actually remember when you were dating, I knew your wife before you, and I remember when you were dating, she was so happy. So there you go. Well, (laughs) let's ask her that question now. That's right. 25 years later. She'll say she's happy. So Todd Spurl actually owns Lean Fox Solutions. He's a president and founder, and they do training programs for companies. You're an author of many books that I think go along with that training and and expand on that. And you're a big volunteer. I mean, the DCFC South Oakland Youth Soccer Club. Can I say that five times real fast? No. Probably not. But the South Oakland Youth Soccer Club, he's the president, and you're quite involved with that. You guys love your soccer, so that's yeah, cool. We're, we're uh, right now eight years uh, being on the board as president. Uh, I'll probably be there another couple more years and then pass the torch on. It's been a lot of fun. It's uh, been building relationships and building that club up uh, has been great because it's what the community needed. We're making sure that it was going to be around. The previous board was doing a good job maintaining, but there was no growth. So it's been fun bringing in new people, letting them work and letting them do what they do best. Which is nice. And it's growing. Yeah. Big time. That's awesome. Yeah. What's interesting about Todd's story is the whole reason I even do this podcast is I like people sharing their stories of where they came from, because we all have different journeys. And I don't think you have a extremely sad story, but you did not grow up in perfect conditions, yet you're a successful adult. And successful to me isn't all about money. It's about you value your family, you're a happy man, you have good hobbies. I mean, you have a good rounded life. So let's get that straight. It's not always about money, but because my book and podcast are about money, it's about having enough though, that you're comfortable, you're not stressed out. Yeah. So- I know, just from knowing you, you grew up in a single-parent household. You talk about your government cheese. (laughs) And and it's just funny because I've heard you kid around, you know, it's not as good as that government cheese. But the truth is, you didn't grow up in a rich household. No. And you're in one of the richest counties in Michigan now, where you live. So you're doing okay. So I guess my point is, we want you to share a little bit of a story of how did you get there and maybe it would help others. Sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The filter was working. I was going to go into the Steve Martin, the jerk movie of how, where he came from. Uh, No, but I grew up in Wisconsin. I grew up in green Bay. Uh, So that may shut half the listeners off right now from this podcast. And I do give kudos to the lions for their victory the other day. 
But I grew up in the 70s, was the time of junior high and high school, and got two brothers. Uh, and my mom was a single parent uh, most of those years, uh, trying to keep three boys out of jail in school and trying to be, you know, just somewhat normal human beings that contribute to society, I believe is what she wanted us to do. And we did uh, have the government cheese, uh, did have the lunch program, did have all that stuff as kids. But you would ask offline what I, you know, did that impact me? And I, I never thought it was normal. A lot of my friends were in that same boat at that time. And before coming on here, I, I talked with my mom and I said, what did you make? What were you, what, you know, and she goes, I was making a dollar 75 an hour. Oh my God. Back in the seventies working as a secretary office person. And I can't even remember the company, but she continued through and ended up going to night school, going to college and graduating over the years. I mean, your, so your mom did. Mm -hmm. So yep. while raising three boys, she worked full time and went to college. Yes. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and but the the college then also ebbed and flowed, right? Mm -hmm. And then she finished up, and then she went on and got her master's as well, and, wow. and finished that uh, later. I get what you're saying. It wasn't like a full time student. She Correct. just took a class, yeah. and every time she yep. she just kept completing one class at a time and just getting there. Yeah, I definitely grew up with that as a role model, right? You know, to grab your bootstraps and pull yourself up and do the work, right? I guess that's one of the big things my mom... She's uh, a hard worker. Yeah, she uh, instilled in us, uh, I can tell you a couple of her favorite things. One was, God gave you a brain, use it. Uh, the other is, don't let this define you. Whatever happens, happens. And, and if you get into something, you can get past it and you can continue to move on. And it's not who you are. It's, it's just another uh, chapter in your book or your journey and so you just, uh, you take it, learn from it and move on. That's a good lesson because I remember um, my oldest, she was going off to college and I said, oh, I hope you fail a lot. And she said, wait a minute, that's a mistake. I said, no. I said, if you learn to fail and keep picking yourself back up, that's a really good skill to have because we all are going to fail. If you're trying, you're going to fail a little bit. Yeah. Made me think of uh, when you said fail, I promptly went out and did that in college. I failed. My freshman year, I was politely asked not to come back. <laughs> Were you having too much fun? Uh, way too much fun. See? Way yeah. too much fun. It's weird I didn't make the dean's list with a 1.65 grade point average. <laughs> what did your mom say when that happened? Or did she, you, uh, yeah. Uh, I, she didn't say much. She, I knew that everybody kind of went, oh, you failed. And I regrouped. Now, at this point in time, most of my family had moved to San Antonio, Texas, okay. because the, the economy was booming down there and people were starting to get work down there. So I moved down there after my freshman year, uh, tail between my legs. And uh, there was a point where I wasn't going to sign up for classes at the junior college. And uh, I was living at my grandmother's house <laughs> in one of the back bedrooms that she had. And my mom came over and said, let's go. I'm going to sign you up. I'm going to take you down there. And she did. She made me sign up for the classes and took those, got straight A's. And I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. <laughs> and then I said, well, I got a point to prove. So I went back to University of Wisconsin, River Falls, uh, the Harvard of the Midwest, by the way. 
And um, they can't see your eyes rolling, but well, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Then I went back there and finished out and got my grade point average back up and everything was fine. That's a big blow, though, when you're young and you think that you're on your way and then you flunk out and you have to face your family and you're like, oh, my gosh. And you might have been frozen for a little bit. So she just kind of pulled you by the ear. She knew you could do it probably more so than you did. She's like, wait a minute, you got this. And that's nice to have. That kind of support is wonderful, just for the record. A lot of people don't have that. Yeah. And it was interesting going back. I met with one of my professors who had now become the chair of the department. Uh, My my undergrad was psychology. And and I remember Dr. Nylander. How did I pull that name out? (laughs) Um, Virgil Nylander, man. Uh, Anyway, so he... Uh, sat me down and told me the story that he also flunked out in his like freshman sophomore year and asked not to come back. And he came back and went back and he goes, you know, look where I'm at now. And I I don't know if it was true or not, but it was a great story for him to tell me at that point in time. Yes. Because I looked at him and went, oh, right. I, I didn't really have anybody in education that I had looked up to kind of as a role model, but I had remembered him from my freshman year and thought he was a good professor. And no, it was great timing on his part to tell me that story. Actually, it was. And I, I'm i thinking back. My parents did not go to college. And my sister was like your mom, my oldest sister, worked full time and fit the classes in between. I don't remember, but she probably took 10, 15 years to complete a degree. Mm-hmm. Then my sister above me completed a degree and then another one to become a lawyer and I think I went to school just because I thought, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And I literally did not enjoy college that much. I just knew I had to get through it because I worked full time and went to school full time. Yeah. And so I, I would have all the classes written on a piece of paper for to complete the whole four-year degree. And every semester, I'd cross them out like, okay, one down, you know, four years to go. But you get it. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't I- thrilled with it. So it's not easy going to college either. I would imagine you jammed four years of college into three, right? Finished I did four early. and four. I did four, four, four within the four, but I worked full time to pay for it. My parents had no money. Right. Well, I jammed four years of college into five. It was really tough <laughs> stretching that out, but it worked. it worked. It worked. You got through it. Yeah. And maybe you were more mature at the time. And I doubt. You doubt. <laughs> Maturity is comes and goes sometimes with me. but Well, I don't plan to grow up anytime soon. So I still, you know, I, I turned uh, 60 this year. At, this is the point in time, Jill, where you look at me and say, you don't look a you day look over 50. At there all. you go. Uh, no, but I still think of myself as like that 16-year-old, right? You know, at times, it's just weird. It's just where my body, right? my brain says, that's where, wherever, that's where you were at at the time you, that you remember or you go back to. Well, there's the lesson because I don't think I'm ever going to grow up. I mean, my age gets bigger, but I'm I'm not going to grow up and I refuse to. So, yeah, I'm having too much fun. So you complete college. You mentioned to me you've never had to look for a job that people have found you. How did you get found to well, have started, your first job, say, after college? It started with grad school. I, my professor came in, Dr. Malcolm Ree came in and said, hey, we're looking for some summer interns, paid positions, and I I perked up at paid. Yeah. And he said, if you're interested, come talk to me after class. And so about four of us went up there to talk to him. And he was the chief 
research psychologist for the ASFAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, uh, and it was, uh, at the time, was down in San Antonio at Brooks Air Force Base, the, the Air Force Human Resources Lab. And they would bring in people from the program, and some would get hired on. There was a pipeline. And at that point in time, I just, I applied. And about a week later, we had a, our first major test, and I had promptly failed it, <laughs> right? Just And so I didn't get the job. They looked at me and said, no, you don't, you don't get the job. And then uh, we had our next test, and out of 100, true story, out of 100 uh, points, and then he had extra points, I got 110. Because you right? had ticked you I on did. the first one. I did. I blew off the first test. I thought, oh, I know this stuff, and I, I didn't. <laughs> Anyways, so then um, he came back and said, you know, uh, would you like to come back and come talk to the group at the Air Force lab? And I said, sure, fine. And then... There's that one. And then from there, I was picked to come up here into the Detroit area. Now, I did interview, but I, I had known some of the guys that were working at the consulting company up here. And then from there, somebody else from that consulting company grabbed me to go to their consulting company. Right. So it's not like I, I didn't do interviews. It's just I, I didn't have to apply. You know, it was just it's, it's a, a weird be, string. It is. It's coincidental because um, when you talk to people... I had, um, during my master's, worked at an insurance company. And my intention was to work for the FBI and be a profiler. Hmm. So complete right turn is I'm working at an insurance company while I'm getting my master's. I saw a guy's paycheck <laughs> that was in sales. And that one paycheck was more than I made the entire year. And I'm thinking, I'm in the wrong department. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and coincidentally... At the same time, I found out I, and it's not about me, but this is about the fact that sometimes you're, I'm working at an insurance company, getting my master's for something completely different, and I end up in the financial services industry because I didn't want to do what I was getting my master's for. I stopped right in the middle of it <laughs> and started looking around at insurance companies, and that's how I end up starting my company. So it was totally unexpected, and I guess my point there is, you're working through life, you're doing a good job, you're having fun, because if you weren't having fun, they wouldn't, uh, companies look for people that enjoy what they're doing and that they're mm -hmm. good at it. And that's why I believe, knowing you, is they probably saw you and wanted you at their company and so on. So it does pay off to work hard at whatever you're doing. I mean, I think a McDonald's commercial I recently saw said so many was it five out of 10 have worked at McDonald's of executives, of people working? That's pretty cool. No, I did not know that. I mean, no matter how menial the job is, you never know where you're going to end up, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, you can look at having fun and, and people picking you. I can also look at it, the flip that uh, there were seven or eight people ahead of me that said, no, I don't want the job. And then they, they looked down the hall and said, oh, there's Todd. Let's <laughs> ask him. Because you're willing to work, though. Yeah, and did you that. really have direction or are you probably just saying, hey, I got to make some money? I can honestly tell you where I'm at today is not planned. It is serendipity, uh, 100%. Mm -hmm. And something comes up, and I have said no to certain opportunities, but usually something comes up and I'm going, hadn't thought about that. Let's check that out. It's like when I was internal at St. John and I was doing the uh, hiring process, I was working with HR and so the chief medical officer came up to me, uh, Jim came up to me and said, hey, I need you to design a, an assessment tool to hire black belts. 
like, sure, no problem. Had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and so I had to Google it and designed it and put it together. And then one thing led to another. The lady that was heading up that department at the time was asked to go somewhere else to be successful. And they needed somebody internally to take her job. And I said, yeah, why not me? I raised my hand. They said, sure. And then all of a sudden I'm leading this department. And then six years later, they say, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And they eliminate my entire department. So I said, well, I, I could stay here or I can start my own consulting firm. And like within that week, I was just talking with a buddy and he kind of, he's a very strategic thinking individual. And we were out having a couple beers and next morning there's an email in my inbox and he had laid out all the steps I needed to do to start my company, write a book, figure out a name, you know, all these things. And I was like, wow. And so I walked out of where my computer was and I walked past Andrea and said, your I, wife, yes, my wife. Yeah. Know, yep. yep. And I said, I think I'm going to start my own company, my own consulting company. I had been in a consulting company before, a small business, and I basically started a consulting company internal to St. John Health. My department was an internal consulting company, so I kind of knew what I needed to do and how to be a consultant. I didn't have to go back to school to learn how to be a consultant. But again, my buddy gave me that, just that needed push, like Dr. Nylander did years ago, right? He just at the right time, somebody gave me something that triggered uh, me to say, yeah, I think I'm comfortable doing this. I know the risk. And boom, I was tagged on to the tail end of a book, uh, my name on there, not my book, but not, not the lead author. Got that going, got a couple other things. And eventually, you know, Lean Fox Solutions was born back in, I always say it was April 1st, uh, 2008. That was a tough year, 2008, yeah, to start the a company. Worst, worst economy up until just recently, but uh, we continued finding clients and growing, you know, as the years went on. What's interesting, too, is you're volunteering for all these jobs that it takes a lot of um, guts to do that. So a lot of times people will get into a career, they'll get moved up. Did you have any imposter syndrome going on there? Did you think, what the heck did they hire me for? I don't know anything. And you just scrambled is what I'm imagining. <laughs> it's uh, constantly, constantly. Yeah. I still have it. I still have it. When I walk into, uh, I just did training for a aerospace company, a uh, greenbelt training. I, I know nothing about the aerospace industry. Now I know the shop floor and I've, I've, I've understand in that area of it, but the technical part of making certain parts, no idea, right? The metal behind it and all that. But I know what I know how to teach. And so for a second, you kind of walk in going, man, these guys are smarter than I am. Uh -huh. But it doesn't matter. You learn from them as well. It's an interesting flip at times. And the best feedback I just got from that group was we've gone through, and these are mostly engineers. They said, we've gone through this before and it failed but we loved your style and I learned from you. That's successful to me. And that goes to show you, uh, same thing. I started out just selling insurance, investments for a living. And I remember I was going to a doctor's home and he was very wealthy. And it was just intimidating going into his home. Mm -hmm. 
I remember, though, thinking, I know way more about insurance than he does. Right. So I'm just going to help him the best way I can. And I did. And he gave me a lot of referrals. And yep. if you know how you can help someone and you know your stuff, it's okay if the other person's really smart, too. I do that all the time with the soccer club. When I stepped on the board and, and became president was early on, and I didn't really know much mm. about the, the makings of the club, but I knew how to run a business, right? So I looked for people that were smarter than me and knew the parts better than me and then set them up, gave them the guidelines and let them roll and just try not to micromanage them. You know, as a company owner, I hire everybody that's smarter at what they do than what I could do. So I always hire smarter people than me and surround myself with really smart people. Yeah. (laughs) It certainly helps, right? Yeah. (laughs) I always joke with the, every year we do the board meeting with the coaches and, and the uh, managers, the teams and things like that. And I always make sure that the board members speak. It's not about me. Right. right. And I always joke, guys, you're going to hear from all everybody else but me because I'm just nothing but the eye candy up here. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a minute for that one to sink through the crowd, but it really is. I mean, there there's a lot of hard working volunteers that make my job easier I now have, to, for that position, just have to be more strategic and ask questions. You know, the first couple of years, you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting and making tough decisions. But now with that club, I've got really good people in certain positions. And uh, Marcel Schmidt, Mike Egnatovich, uh, Mark Fishwild are paid employees of our club now that help run the club. And our board with Mike and Shannon and Troy... And Mark, Forget I got I got the last one, Mark, in there. Get those guys. We've all kind of now moved into a different role model. I, I've shifted the board into a different uh, mindset. We're more of like a school board where we're oversight. We do special projects. We're oversight, but the day to day is now truly run by the first three guys I mentioned. Right, and that's how most nonprofits will work. Right. Right. You know, you made me think about something uh, for the younger people is, you know, look at the company, look at the people that work there, ask them what they do and how they got there yeah. and figure out, do you like the job that they have? And if you talk to someone and you find out, wow, I, I would like to do that, there would be nothing wrong with asking them how to get there and could they help? Yeah. Because as company owners, you and I can say, we want employees that are going to help our company become better. And if we get somebody that's ready and willing and they just don't have the knowledge yet, we can teach them the knowledge. We just need people that are going to step up and do the work. So in a way, that's a lesson in itself. If you're willing to step up, even if you're scared that you don't have the knowledge, you say, look, I'm going to step up, I'm going to learn. And you try to learn from others and listen, 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 listen. You can move up in a company and do quite well. Yeah. And I'd also compliment that with the you know, if somebody, if you're a younger person, you're looking and doing what you just uh, described and somebody says no, mm-hmm. go to somebody else. Right. Right. Keep right. knocking on doors. You know, I, I've been lucky and blessed, I guess, in certain situations when, you know, uh, I knew I was losing my job at St. John. I knew the new leadership didn't believe in process improvement in the way that I was teaching it and the way my department did it. So I had several months to make those changes and make decisions, I should say. And as I told my team, I said, don't lay in the corner. 
in the fetal position crying. I said, get in, do your job every day, and people are going to take notice, and you're, you may end up staying within the organization. If that's what you want to do, great. And I told them right up front, I wasn't staying. I was going to start my own consulting company and go from there and see where that takes me. And everybody, you know, I was honest with them right up front and everybody was good. It was interesting. I didn't feel good about myself until that last person that worked for me found another job. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because you want to make sure everybody had a place to go. Right, right. And I had a lot of recruiters calling me, you know, about those individuals. My first line was always, I didn't realize they were out of jail. Oh, <laughs> That probably threw them off. It did. It did. The, the recruiter would be, it would just be dead at the other end. I said, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it was always opportunity after opportunity. I, and I still talk to a lot of those that worked for me 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I forgot about this. I, at one point in time, I don't know how it happened, but Oakland University called me and their HR department. And we had a pipeline of HR people coming through as interning. I must have had 20, 25 interns over a two-year period, two, three-year period come through and just work with when I was at St. John. And some of them, I still stay in touch with. My mistake was, is I didn't keep names and like who was there and things like that. I'm sure it's somewhere deep in the the archives of St. John. It's hard to keep track of everything. Right. Yeah. But it's really cool. I've got a couple that I still stay in touch with and their directors and vice presidents and so on of organizations now to watch their careers. It's just a neat thing to happen. Actually, that's a good point because um, my husband has hopped in different jobs and he always, same thing. Someone's always asking, Hey, we're looking for this. Would you like to come? And I think a lot of it is he kept in touch with everybody he's ever worked with. Yeah. And it sounds silly, but you never know where people are going to end up, and then they might end up helping you with something. I mean, it's just amazing if you can keep that LinkedIn network and keep in touch with people that you enjoy and trust, Yeah, because they'll step up for you if you need help. Yes. When I left and started my own company, people I thought that didn't support me or appreciate the work I was doing kind of came out of the woodwork. I got a lot of jobs, a lot of consulting jobs from some of those leaders that I thought... I didn't know them well enough, but I thought, man, they think I'm an idiot, you know? Right, right. Or somebody would call me and say, so-and-so said for me to call you because you know what you're doing with this stuff. I'm like, who called you? (laughs) Who told you to say that? Right? It's funny. It's neat that that happens, but you wish you knew that at the time. Right. right? Maybe it would have changed me. I don't know. We all have our doubts, though. The thing is, everybody, everybody even listening, you're going to have doubts if you're not in your inner circle. Yeah. Or you're in a new environment, you got to feel it out and you got to figure it out. And you're right. There's a lot of people you think they don't like you at all, and they do. Yeah. Or there's jealousy there. I've seen that, where once you leave, they're like, oh, yeah, happy to help you. <laughs> Could right? be. Could yeah. be, yeah. I balance between two different industries, you know, the manufacturing side. I do a ton of that since 2010. And then I've always, I cut my teeth in healthcare. Yes. And then- you know, again, another one, Dr. Ernie Yoder. I worked with him at St. John and he said, hey, I'm going to be out of town on Wednesday. Can you go teach my MBA class? I'm like, sure. What am I teaching him? And, you know, he (laughs) said, well, and so I I went up and did a presentation on lean process improvement, right? And then one thing led to another. 
I taught it in the executive MBA program for 10 years up at Oakland. And now I'm affiliated more with the a grad school program up at Oakland in the lean leadership department area. And so it's a lot of fun because getting in front you, of different students and different, they're in different ind- industries as well. And I think that's something to point out is you and I will run into people that are, in my opinion, for me, way smarter than me. And then I get talking to them and I remember I had a couple that they were finance people. I'm thinking, they don't need me. Right. And I sit down with them and they were so grateful because they didn't know any basics. They didn't know anything about investing. They just knew financial numbers and how it related to a company. They had no idea how to do their own. I thought that would be common sense. And of course, I'm learning that people, they didn't grow up with the common sense of managing money. Right. But they might be really smart at other things. Yeah. A lot of my clients, I may not be with them, and I don't plan to be with a client for 5, 10, 15 years, which is a little different for your industry. Mm-hmm. I hope to educate them, and then they won't need me. Yeah, right? yeah. And I actually just ran across a client, Jordan Manufacturing, in uh, Belding. I did a lot of work with them a couple years ago, and one of their leaders is in one of my leadership classes now. And we went back and took the class to tour their facility and just found out that the VP, Sachiko, just won Female Manufacturer of the Year. Oh, my um, goodness. Just got awarded it. But I remember, you know, teasing her because uh, she hadn't been able to standardize a lot of stuff within the office. And she was very adamant that we do it the best way we can. I said, I know you do, but you can change this and this. And so she was she just, reluctant to your um, guidance. No, no, no. She just challenged me, which was good. I okay. accept that. But okay. she took off, and then they went and they hired another consultant that does some a, a little stuff differently than me. And they just went one level higher and higher, and the company continues to get better and better. And again, I'm very proud of the work that they're doing. But I haven't been working with them in, for two, three years. But I walk in, and it's just great to see that you had some impact on them, mm-hmm. right? At the beginning, early stages, they were you know, struggling a little bit here and there, but for the most part, they've taken it and they've built on it. You know, someone, I don't know who it was, but they made a very good point, and this is something you and I do, but I think it's worth mentioning, is someone said, no matter what job you have, if a person's a good person, they're going to be the good janitor. Mm-hmm. They're going to be good at the office. They're going to be good at answering the phone. They're going to try their best wherever they're at. And truthfully, that's how you move up along in the world is people are not going to call on you if you didn't at least try and do a good job. And sometimes you're trying and you're not doing a good job because it's not the type of work you should be doing. But people will notice that you're trying and they might be, you know what, you might be better off over here in this department. Why don't we, why don't we pull you over there? Yeah. So the point I'm making is you and I do not burn bridges. And even if we don't know what the heck we're doing, we're trying the best we can. And if people know that, that's that's helpful in a career path. And why do we sit and talk so much about career paths? Because you want to make enough money in life so that you're comfortable. You can't just show up to work, do your work, and go home. You have to do a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. You have to make an impact or be valuable to the company you're working for. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. If you enjoy your work, you're going to do a great job and people are going to appreciate you and you'll move along. I saw that from my mom working her way up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandparents owned their own company, paint and wallpaper store. They worked hard and, you know, I saw all that stuff growing up. And I, I say that to my kids 
do your best, whatever the job they give you, do your best. I had a boss when I was in college. He said to me, if I ask you to clean the toilets, you become the best toilet cleaner. Yes. Right. If I ask you to sweep the hallways, you become the best hallway sweeper we have. That's the best advice I can give you. And and Norb uh, was absolutely right. And that's exactly what you were saying. Now, the one other advice I give my kids is that, especially my son uh, plays soccer. And I tell him, I said, freshman year, he was disappointed he didn't make varsity. Talented team. But that was the best thing for him because then he played all the time on JVA. Still sitting the bench. Yeah. And then next year he made varsity, didn't play as much. But my advice was to him, when you get your five minutes, you play like those are the last five minutes you'll ever play, <laughs> right? And it eventually got him more playing time, more playing time, and built his confidence up. Right. Right. It's great to have those plans, but it's also great to throw the plans away sometimes and see what else is out there. You know, I, I talk a lot about reframing the problem in my leadership classes and my process improvement trainings. You know, we jump to solutions right away mm-hmm. or, or what we're comfortable with. So it's always good. And I think this is what I've done and not realizing it, but step back and go and, and look and say, but why not do that? I don't let where I came from say I can't be that person um, or try that opportunity. The idea of being a victim because we didn't have money or I didn't have brand new school clothes every year, that was... <laughs> There's there's a couple hours on the therapist's couch. <laughs> Why, did you have ridiculous clothes that you wore? Hand-me-downs? Um, yeah. I had my... <laughs> and people can't see you, but you literally, your face is red. So, so there must have been pretty bad clothing so the, there. I, was, I, I always got my brother's hand-me-downs for the most part. My mom tried what, to do it, but, but the best was... <laughs> is we played hockey growing up. My brother was a much, much better player than I was, and I, I somehow didn't warrant a hockey jacket. <laughs> so I, it was, an, you know, so I uh, I had my brother's old hockey jacket that had his name right here. <laughs> so, so you didn't have your, someone else's name on your jacket. No, I just took white tape, taped it over. <laughs> I wore it. You wore it because it is what it is. Yeah. I wasn't going to, we weren't, apparently in my mom's eye, I wasn't good enough hockey player to get that new jacket. Or she didn't have the money. Yeah, I'm teasing. It's funny. But but, but it is, honestly, we laugh about it, but it is hard trying to fit in when you're a little bit different from the rest of the crowd, you know, and you don't have the money. So we don't want to overlook it. I'm not going to go on and on about it, but it is something that it does build a core for yourself that you got to get through things if you're not accepted by others. I think that's a good quality. Yeah. You got to do what's right for you and not look around you. And you talk to young kids about where they're going to college or what they're doing. Well, my friends are going here. I'm going to go there. And it's like, well, yeah. wait a minute. You should be yeah. thinking about what's important to you. Yeah. What are Don't you going to get out of your friends? Right. What are you going to get out of that opportunity? Right. But you it, were going to say something about reframing. Well, it's just looking at it differently and, and reframing the opportunity. Like Instead of and I think you just mentioned it, doing the same thing that all your friends are, the comfort, step out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Going to college was huge for me. I had no friends when I went to college. I I found friends eventually. But you didn't know anyone when you Correct. went there. I get that because I, same way. Right. And then I went to graduate school and I didn't know anybody that was going there. I just signed up and did it because, okay. I'm, How'd you find the money for college? Well, back then the there was a lot of grants. Okay. 
and the loans were very, very different than they are today. But we you know, borrowed money and yeah, figured yeah, it paid out. It, it took me, but again, I had a ton of grant money uh, through the state because of where I was financially. You took advantage, but you're the exact person that we would want to take advantage and make something of yourself and you employ others. So it worked. <laughs> yeah. So again, it just the, the reframing is just taking a different path. You don't have to do what all your friends are doing. I take reframing a different way. I was uh, volunteering for Winning Futures, and what they do is they match up people that are business owners with the high schoolers, and I get the same three young ladies all year round, and I did oh. it for several years. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me is, and I was in a, I'm going to say middle-class neighborhood, but this one girl had straight A's, and she says, well, I'm going to be a beautician. I said, that's great. I said, let's go visit a couple. So I visit one in a a neighborhood and this particular beautician's like, I'm on my feet all the time. I don't have benefits, but I make pretty good money and I could do my own hours. I said, come on, let's go to a different salon. So I went to a high-end salon and the person's saying, yeah, it's great money and this and that. And she made, and so we, when we left, I said, that woman does the same thing as the first one we met, the same thing, cuts hair, colors hair. Yeah. I said, the experience as you could see was much different. It was a higher-end salon. She dressed differently, but she did the same work for double the money. Where would you like to be? Yeah. And she was like, oh. And I said, so please, if that's what you choose to do, don't limit yourself. Right. Figure out the best way. Same with someone that's an attorney, okay? You could be introverted, or maybe you were in drama in high school, and you're quite the actor, which would make you a great trial lawyer. Yeah. Or if you're introverted, you might be a great researcher. And so no matter what profession you choose, you can end up being whatever you want for an organization. So you and I both have our first degrees in psychology. We both own businesses. I didn't know that. Yeah. And we have the ability to communicate well. So we're probably both pretty good in sales because we can relate to people and help them. Now, on the other hand, my husband's an engineer but he was very good in sales because he solved problems, engineering problems for companies. What I'm saying is it's wide open. I don't mean to pigeonhole anyone. Correct. It's wide open of whatever you enjoy doing, you can find your way and just notice when you're happy and when you're not happy. Yeah, very true. I think we're saying the same thing around reframing. It, it, it just It is um, finding that job you enjoy. I'll teach forever, I guess but I'll do the same with the company for probably another five, six, maybe even 10 years because I love getting up there, solving problems, teaching and meeting new people. And you're good at um, taking a company and pivoting a little bit too. Not a lot of people are comfortable with that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've worked with a lot of uh, rural community hospitals. In fact, next week I'm up in the UP at a small, small community hospital. We just did one in Escanaba. Just, Can you bring your hunting bow with you? I am not a hunter. I fish, but I do not hunt. Okay. Um, but it's a lot of fun because there's people frustrated with their work because they're stuck in that same pattern. And I can come in and, and work with them and help them kind of change it around and, and solve problems. Make it a little bit fresher too, maybe. Yeah. Whether it's healthcare or manufacturing, it, everybody has those process problems, leadership issues. And it's fun to come in and just kind of help them change the direction. And you know, the other thing I was going to mention, just as talking, is I often tell a lot of young people that are in college, go to the career counselor, take a 100-question quiz, 
and just find out the areas that might be best for your personality. Some of us aren't aware of what we'd be good at. I think you were the same as me. I got through college and I had no idea where it's going. And I took a very massive right turn, you know, from criminal justice and profiling <laughs> to financial. But I had been investing since I was 12. Right. So it was natural once I, I was like, when I went to interview, I said, well, I've been investing since I was 12. And their eyes would get really big, like, you're perfect for this job. Well, I had no idea that there was such a job even available. You know, I remember coming home, I was newly married. I said to my husband, unbelievable, they're going to pay me to talk to people. Right. <laughs> That's like cake yeah. and the frosting. But my point is that you don't know what you don't know. And you have to start exploring, maybe asking everybody around you what they do. Do they like it? If you're at a company, find out the different departments. What do they do? Yep. And you have to do a little exploring. You can't just go through life thinking it's going to jump out at you. Correct. Sometimes it doesn't. When you went into college at that point, did you have an idea what your career path was going to be? I You keep talking was, about the insurance. Well, I, I was going to be in psychology, oh, be right. a, pro, a forensic profiler for the FBI. Right. So I took psychology and criminal justice, and then I went right on, and I got a job at an insurance company full-time to support me while I went and got my master's. It goes to show you the, the means of trying to get through college, and then I end up at the insurance company figuring out, I want to do what they're doing. Right. I you never know, though. That was so random. Yeah. Honestly, I could have ended up working, who knows, you know, at a carpet store or something, and you don't know what life brings you. And I, I have to say, I have clients that they manage an Arby's, they manage a McDonald's, and don't look down on those people. They make very good money, yeah. much more money than some people that work in an office. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Electrician, you get it. And the reason I, I wanted you as a guest today is because you and I randomly found our way. Truly. Really. Truly I mean, randomly. If you would have told me when I was 16 or so that I have accomplished all this. It's more than you imagined yeah, is what I'll say. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I, I'm humbled too because... You know, as a business owner, then you're responsible for other people and that sort of thing, too. But it's nerve wracking. The one thing I, I do tell a lot of my clients in my leadership classes is we're always looking to improve. And a lot of times our bosses hammer us for uh, one or two faults, right? You may have a boss that comes down on you. But I said, one of the things we don't do as leaders that I think is really a good, um, solid habit to get into is keep an accomplishment list a done list. What have you accomplished in your time, whether it's in this the, the past week, but over the years, what are the big things you've done? And I had to do that for a job. Somebody asked me for some stuff and I'm like, I forgot I even did that five years ago, seven years ago. But it's a good thing, I think, for those coming up, you know, from high school into whatever career path you take Keep that so you know your major accomplishments. It could help you in your next job interview. It could go back and help you build your confidence at a low point. Go back and look at what you've accomplished. In fact, without revealing who it is, um, just this week, I talked to a young man that wants to move up in their company and talk to their boss about it. Right. And that's exactly what they said. You have to write down all the things you've done and what you accomplished and how you helped the company. And you need to make that visible so yeah. that when there is an opening, they're going to think about you. Yep. And I thought, wow, that's very good advice. 
The other thing we do as a company is we don't do it every day. I think we should, but we don't. But when you have a particularly bad day, like you came in to do three items and not one of those items <laughs> got done, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'll say, write down, what did you get done today? Name three things that you did, three people you helped or three things you did get done. And then you're like, okay, okay, I did do something. Okay, feel better, you yeah. know? Because we can easily get down on ourselves because mm-hmm. uh, we get up in the morning and go, I'm going to get these 27 things done. And realistically, you're not going to get those 27 things done. I think but, it's what keeps me going, though. Yeah. Well, and I did this <laughs> when I knew my department at St. John was going to be dissolved because of the economy and the cutbacks. I had done this weeks or months earlier. I, I had told all those that reported to me, go ahead and get a three-ring binder of all your projects that you've done. So whenever you need them, you're going to be able to pull them out and show them to you, somebody, your next employer, this is what I accomplished. And most of them said it was very, very helpful in their next stage, their job interviews and what they did in their next job. This jobs. is great advice, actually. I enjoy that you've shared that because anybody listening could start writing down all the things that they've gotten done even last week, last month, yep. keep going backwards till you have yourself a, a nice list. Yeah. Now you don't have to use the three ring binder. You can put it on your iPad. That's but, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, technology isn't great. I know when I say the word write down, I don't uh, even write. I talk into my phone. That's funny. Yeah. Any last word advice? But I like okay. that we kind of went in a circle because that's really how our lives have gone. Like we find opportunities and follow them and it's not a perfect path. It's not. Don't get discouraged when it doesn't happen the way you think it should happen. Right. You know, the I said the term or word uh, serendipity at the very beginning. And that's truly, I think if there's anything, it, that's what my career path has been. I know I want to do certain things, but I will get pulled in different directions and then you just go with it. You run with it. Yeah, you do. Now, because you talked about your training, if someone wants to find you, where should they go? They can find me at leanfoxsolutions.com is where most of my material is. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn. And then if you're looking to buy the books, uh, they're all on Amazon or at theleanstore.com. And we're going to have all that right on the podcast. So Perfect. Perfect. Thank I expect you to very see much. book sales to jump. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> hey, they might. You never know. Well, they clear and they uh, they help cure insomnia. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book Uncommon Sense at JillGleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, The Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.